0: dad passed away on Friday. Um, I'm not going to squeeze over people, but I want to pray for you. Sounds good? Lord God, we, uh, we grieve with Shelly, we grieve with Ryan over the passing of, of her father. Uh, we ask, Lord, in these, in these next days to come, you would comfort them. Uh, may they be able to grieve well, uh, may they be able to mourn well, and uh, may, the, may the details which can be so daunting in these following days, uh, may they be taken care of by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So really a bad transition from that, but holy cow. Did you see the game? (laughs) Holy mackerel. Holy guacamole. Is the cow really holy? Or the mackerel? I've had some really, really good guacamole, but I don't know if there's any that I would deem as holy. Gentlemen, you ever babysat? Nobody. (laughs) For those that have, maybe you watched a kid that was just really, really bad. Don't point to anybody in here, okay? But maybe you did that and you you ended up walking home because you couldn't even drive and you told your spouse, That kid was a holy terror. Isn't that an oxymoron? I know there's a couple of you that grew up in the 1960s or that were alive in the 1960s. There was a TV show on back then. Um, It was on for quite a while, Batman and Robin. Anybody remember them? Okay. And for the younger ones, they used to look like that. Okay, that's not how they look today. Okay? Robin, Batman's trusty sidekick, would always say the word holy and then follow it up with something else. Holy mackerel, right? Holy holy elk eggshells. Holy barracuda. Holy hardest metal in the world. Holy pressure cooker, Batman. I found an exhaustive list. Of all the holy phrases that Robin said, 366, (laughs) give or take. It was alphabetized. Holy, exhaustive list, bad man. When Robin said these things, was he really saying that whatever word followed was holy? We claim to serve and worship a holy God, right? What does that mean? We come from a denominational background that traces its heritage in the Wesleyan holiness tradition. What does that mean? God calls us to be holy. But what does that mean? This morning we're going to begin a series on holiness. And I'll be honest with you, starting this series I feel extremely unprepared. See, I've been planning to do this series since before the summer started, knowing that it would come this fall. And I even took an entire day to get away with 12, 15, 20 books on holiness, whether it was the the word, the meaning of it, or the denominational distinctive. uh, I spent time in those books. I spent time in Scripture. And I left that day even more overwhelmed. Over 700 times in Scripture, the word holy is used. 700. So where do we even begin On a day like today. So I'm telling you from the get go, okay? Whether this is a two week series, a three week series, um, we will not be doing an exhaustive series like Robin and his 366 words. Okay? This will be a, a short series that we cover a few things on holiness, and then we'll let some weeks go by. We'll talk about holiness again, and then some weeks go by again and we'll talk about it more. It'll just be one of those continuing-type series because with over 700 words in Scripture, we just can't cover everything this morning. Sound fair? This past week, as I was trying to figure out where to even start, ultimately I came down to, God, what is it you want us today to hear? You've heard me say that. That's so often my prayer leading into a week. What is it you want us at First Church to learn? What do you want us to know What do you want us to come away with this morning on the idea of holiness? Several times in Scripture, God Himself, Yahweh, says, Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. That's quite the call for us. Now, before we wrestle with that today, what I came down on is I want to wrestle with what it means for God. What does it mean that God is holy? Because God is holy. Scriptures are clear on that. 1 okay? Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 96, verse 9. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Ezekiel 38 verse 23, in this way God says I will make my greatness and my holiness known and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world then they will know that I am the Lord. Scripture is clear like I said over 700 times God is holy even the seraphim. Now, that, that word was in the song that we just sang. These crazy angelic beings described in a couple places in Scripture, when they're talking about God, all they can think to say is holy. Revelation 4.8, day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty. We're going to come back to this verse. Holy, holy, holy. God is Holy. But what does that mean? How are we to understand it today? As confusing as, and as overwhelming as this topic of holiness can be, God has really laid it on my heart today to simplify. If you do a word study on either the Hebrew or the Greek words that we translate as holy, almost every single one of them comes back to one of two things. Holy. God being holy means he is one, set apart. Or God being holy means he is sacred. Set-apart and sacred. We're going to look at set-apart, at both of those, but set-apart first. Okay? After God set the Israelites free from their Egyptian captivity, Moses sang a song of deliverance. Now, one of the lines in that song was this, Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? Now, the word there used for holiness is bakodesh. It means apartness. And it's fitting, stemming from what the Egyptians or what the Israelites just left, what they just came from. They were freed from Egypt, a country and a people that worshiped over 2,000 gods. 2,000. And not one of them set the Israelites free. No wonder Moses said, God, there's no one like you. There's 2,000 of them over here, and you're the one that set us free. You're different. You're set apart. If you rewind the story of the Exodus just a little bit, one of the times when Pharaoh was getting a little bit restless with these plagues, he called Moses and and he said, Moses, tell your God to stop these frogs. He said, do it tomorrow. This is Exodus 8.10. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied. It will be as you have said, then you will know that there was no one like the Lord our God. He set apart. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said something very similar in chapter 18, verse 11 of Exodus. He says, I know the Lord is greater than all the other gods because he rescued people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Holy, set apart like none other. Now, being holy is set apart doesn't just mean God is bigger and stronger and faster than all the other 2,000 gods that they just came from. Set apart also means that we as humans can't fully grasp God. We can't fully understand him. You've heard the verses talking about God's ways being higher than our ways and God's understanding higher than our understanding used to comfort us when we're going through hard times, when, when we don't know why we're going through things. But they can also be used to show us how far above God is than us, how ununderstandable He is. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond your ways, anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They are like that because God is set apart, because He's holy, He's different. And a big part of that difference is because he's even beyond our understanding of time and space. I told you we'd come back to the holy, holy, holy verse. This is found in the book of Revelation, and it's said by those crazy creatures, the seraphim. Revelation 4, verse 6 to 8. It says, In the center center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Kids, that sounds kind of crazy, huh? Keep listening to this description. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were all covered with eyes inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Holy because he's beyond space and time like we know. Holy because God was. Holy because God is. Holy because God is still to come. Holy mind-blown Batman. Beyond time. Different than us. King David was trying to wrap his mind around this when he penned Psalm 102. uh, Verse 12 and then verse 25 and following. David said, but you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. Long ago, here it is in the past, you laid the foundation of the earth and you made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you'll remain forever. There it is. God to come. They'll perish, but you'll remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You'll change them like a garment and discard them, but you will always stay the same. God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Beyond our understanding of space and time. Now if you keep reading in that passage in Revelation 4, we get to yet another way we can understand this set-apartness of God. It's the idea that he is creator and we are creation. We've read verses 6 to 8. Now let's go 9, 10, and 11 in Revelation 4. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, it says, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And they exist because you created what you pleased. You created all things. They exist because you created what you pleased. You're creator. We are creation. There is a difference. You're set apart. This actually made the most sense to me in trying to understand what it meant for God to be holy and set apart. Creator and creation. Here's why it made sense to me. I've got two sons that like to play Legos. Let's be honest. I like to play Legos. Let's be really honest. Every guy in this building likes to play Legos. You want to keep a group of kids, like boys and men, busy? Dump a box of Legos in the middle of the floor and say, go. Within minutes, okay, battleships will be made. Uh, Battlefronts will be drawn. Creation happens. Futuristic gadgets that would make Batman jealous are built. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down, because Legos are just plastic pieces. But if they were more than that, Would a Lego creation, would a ship look up at the person who made it and understand them? No. Not at all. They're they're, they're the ship. They're made for a specific purpose. God is creator. We are creation. Want to know what sets God apart? Read Genesis 1 and 2. Read Job 38 to 41. When God speaks, stuff happens. He tells the oceans where to stop. He commands the mornings to appear. When humanity speaks, that doesn't happen, does it? No, it doesn't. But when God speaks, it happens. Creator creation. Robert Mounts, uh, one of the commentators in the New, New International Commentary in the New Testament, writes, to acknowledge God as holy is to declare his complete separateness from all created beings. Holy, set apart, different. That's the first definition. Second definition that we often translate the, the Hebrew and Greek words holy means sacred, kadovish. I think when we hear this word sacred, we, we get a general understanding of what it means. You know, blessed, consecrated, revered, sanctified, hallowed. Like the Lord's Prayer that we played, uh, prayed a couple of weeks ago. Hallowed be your name. holy. Be your name. This is what we feel deep on the inside when you walk into a place or a location or a conversation where you know God is present. I got a call on Friday night asking me to do a graveside service on Saturday for a friend of a friend. I don't don't care how many of those I do, whether I know the families well or not, there is a sacredness in that moment. There is a holiness, that God is there. And I think, I think what we're feeling in that moment, in that place, is the realization that we are so far away from sacred and holy. I think what we feel when we're in that place is the realization of how far away from sacred and holy we really are. The word is Kadovish. It's what Isaiah felt In the well-known passage, when he saw God, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. It was in the the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Let that sink in for a second. Isaiah saw God. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. There's these characters again. Each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings their feet, with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of heaven's armies. The, Lord, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. This is a different word than is used in Revelation. This one is kadovish, kadovish, kadovish. It means sacred and Isaiah continues and we get the understanding that he's realizing this is so far from what I am. Verse 5 and 6. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. He had seen sacred and realized how far from it he was. The opposite of sacred is profane. It's irreverent. It's it's irreligious. It's, I mean, the easiest way to describe sacred is it's not us. Much like the set apartness is hard for us to understand, so is the sacredness of God. We just can't fathom it. I mean, in reality, it's kind of like this line in the sand that gets drawn. God says, hey, I'm over here. You're over there. Don't cross the line. We've seen this. You go back to the story of the Exodus. Go back to, to when God set the people free. They wandered for a little bit, and he brought them to the mountain. And he said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to reveal myself to them. Listen to it. Exodus 19, verse 9 and following. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll come to you in a, in a thick cloud. So the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they'll always trust you. So Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Interesting, the word consecrate there means holy. Make them holy. Today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing, and be sure that they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary around the mountain. Draw a line in the sand around the mountain. Warn the people: be careful, do not go up on a mountain or even touch its boundaries, because anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. There's a line in the sand. God is sacred. Humanity, as much as we can't fathom it, is not. There's two stories in the Old Testament that really emphasize the sacredness of God compared to the non-sacredness of humanity. And both stories really, really rub me wrong. I think we'll know them. The first is when Aaron, who was Moses' brother, okay? Aaron, the high priest, had two sons. They were... Uh, burning incense, like God had told them to do, their priestly duties, and yet they must have burned the wrong kind, okay? Because God scorched them, okay? I don't know if it was blatant disrespect on their part, negligence, simple laziness, but in the end, it was not good. The end result pointed to God's sacredness in comparison to humanity's lack of sacredness. Leviticus chapter 10, verse one to three. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. Okay, so there it is. There it is. They sinned because they didn't listen to how he had told them to do it. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my Holiness, through those who come near me, I will display my glory before all the people. The text says, and Aaron was silent. The sons had come near to God. There had been a line that God had drawn, and he had said, hey, if you want to come close to that line, you've got to do things a certain way. And when they didn't do those things a certain way, the holiness, the sacredness of God led to their death. Kind of rubs me wrong, because it's early in the stages of Israelites learning how to be in the presence of a holy God. But still, it shows the sacredness. Now, the other story is later on, quite a few years, hundreds of years, thousands, maybe close to a thousand, Okay, when King David is alive, and he's bringing the ark of God back into Jerusalem. I think most of us know the story. It's, it's a celebration. It's exciting. The ark is coming back. It's being moved, but the oxen stumble. And the guy who's standing right next to the, to the Ark of the Covenant, Uzzah, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 6 and 7, he reaches out to steady the Ark. He doesn't want it to fall, but he puts his hand on it, and immediately he's struck dead. That rubs me wrong. It rubbed King David wrong, too. You read the story, and he, he's frustrated with God. As I was looking at this idea of holiness, of sacredness, being set apart, Being completely different than us, I I just got a glimpse of why God would have done that. Maybe it helped me understand a little bit better. See, the ark of God was what represented God's presence on earth. It's where God had said he's going to display his presence. Exodus 25, 8 through 10. God said, Have the people of Israel build a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. That's, that's important. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, a holy chest. Okay, 10 verses of God giving descriptions of how to build that chest. And we see this in verse 21. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet you there. I will meet you there. I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover above the ark of the covenant. And from there I will give you my commands for the people of Israel ark was sacred. It was holy. It was God's presence. It was one of the articles that was actually placed in the temple in the Holy of Holies, which is aptly named. And it would have been one of the things designated as untouchable. And while the Israelites were moving around in the desert in the the tabernacle, the temporary temple, there was a group, uh, there was a clan called the Kohathites who were, uh, their, their job was to move the sacred things. But even they weren't allowed to touch the, the sacred things. We see this in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred holy objects. The Kohathites will then come and carry the things to the next destination. But they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. So they're supposed to carry them, but they can't touch them. How does that work? Well, God gave specific instructions. Numbers 4, verse 5 and 6. When the camp moves, Aaron and his sons must enter the tabernacle, first take down the inner curtain and cover the Ark of the Covenant with it. Okay, so the Ark is covered by the inner curtain. Then they must cover the inner curtain with the fine goatskin leather and spread over that a single piece of blue cloth. Finally, they put the carrying poles of the Ark in place. So there was procedure. God had laid it out. I'm sacred. There's a line drawn in the sand. You can't touch this. And that helps us understand a little bit better the story of Uzzah. A little bit. There is a line to keep the profane of sin away from the holy of God. There's a line to keep the profane of sin away from the holy of God of God. Really the only thing that can go close to the holy of God is something without sin, which leads us of course to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26. Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy, the text says, and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and given the highest place of honor in heaven. Jesus helps us bridge that unholy, holy gap between us and God. Okay, Don't, don't forget this. We're going to talk more about it next week. For now, this morning, we come back to the, the simple yet profound idea that God is holy. And that means two things. He's set apart and he's sacred. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? Do I want you just to leave being able to say, well, it means two things, sacred and set apart, Or does this actually apply somehow? I was trying to think of of ways we could bring it in a very practical type way. And I was drawn back to what we do at the beginnings of our service. And oftentimes right at the end. We sing. We worship. We praise. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, Yet you, God, are holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. You, God, are holy. You're you're enthroned on the praises of your people. I wonder, I wonder if that knowledge of holy, being set apart, being sacred, affects how we come on a Sunday morning. Now, I'm going to ask several questions, and I'm telling you I'm asking myself first, okay? I wonder if when we come to worship, Do we come with the right attitude? Do we come with the right posture? Or do we come just to check off the, I went to church box and now let's get on with the rest of Sunday? Do we genuinely come hoping for, expecting to, with the awe, the fear, the trepidation of of Isaiah, that we're in the presence of a holy God? I can't answer these questions for you. I know that I have to wrestle with them myself. As I was preparing last night, as I was preparing again this morning, I was again kind of overwhelmed with, oh, my goodness. We're coming into the presence of a holy God. And I wonder if when we truly let that sink in, if it'll change our posture, if it'll change the way we approach God throughout the week, If it will change the way we approach God on a Sunday morning. In the words of my predecessor, Pastor Dwight, think about this this week. And let's see how it affects how you approach God during a week and next Sunday. Let's pray. God, this morning I am again reminded that I'm not worthy that I am nowhere near what I need to be to come before you in the presence of a holy God. And I'm reminded, Lord God, this morning of who you are. And it, it's easy for us to sing songs about you being holy. It's, it's easy for us to, to just kind of say them and, and not really let that sink in. Father, I pray you'd forgive us. Forgive me when I've done that. God, give us some of that same sense of awe and reverence and fear that Isaiah had. Help us to understand that, God, when we come before you, whether it's in the quiet of our own prayer closet or whether it's as a gathered community on a Sunday morning, we are entering into the presence of a sacred God. Now, we can do that because of of Jesus. And I thank you for that. I look forward to hearing what you have to say to us next week in in conjunction with that. But Lord, today I ask that you would just, just weigh heavy on us. What it means for you to be holy. Bring this to mind several times this week, Lord, regularly. And i will be curious to see how that affects my coming before you and this families of faith coming before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.